Hello and welcome to Iroquois History and Legends. This is Andrew. And this is Caleb. And Andrew, last week we dedicated an entire two-part series on the life of Red Jacket. Now before we get on with our narrative, there's a few other honorable mentions that we really want to give some due time before we continue on. That's right. So this, for our 51st episode, we wanted to cover the great Seneca war leader, Corn Planter. Now, we've mentioned that name before, right, Andrew? Probably in dozens of our episodes so far. And uh, some people might have heard us say his name, but we didn't really talk about him. And once again, that's because we knew that down the road we'd be getting into better detail. And an interesting fact about Corn Planter is he was actually a relative of Red Jacket. And we'll see that the majority of the Seneca leadership at the time were all pretty closely related. How related, you ask? Well, I've got a little list here. So, Corn Planter's uncle was Kayasuta. We did a whole episode on him, the Mingo half-king that was involved in Pontiac's war. Corn Planter's brother was Handsome Lake, who we are also going to do an episode on after this. Governor Black Snake was his cousin, and Red Jacket was his first cousin once removed. And there are several other people that are famous that are related to, but otherwise we'd just spend a whole episode doing random genealogy. What was his father? Was he a Seneca? Well, one thing that was not uncommon with a lot of Seneca at the time was they weren't necessarily pure-blood Indian like people might think. In Iroquoian culture, you... They didn't look at you like what your nationality was. You could literally be 100% Dutch and you could be adopted into their nation and you would be a Seneca, even if you were white. So Corn Planter, he was actually half Dutch. His father was a Dutch trader. And his name was Johan Obile, or you could say in English, John Abiel or Abel. There's a lot of different ways to pronounce it. And like Caleb said, he was of Dutch ancestry born in 1722. Johann's grandfather was the mayor of Albany back in the day, and they also were intermarried with the Schuyler family. Anyway, this younger Johann traveled around Iroquois territory and did a lot of trading. He would work as a roaming gunsmith to different villages because a lot of them needed their weapons fixed, so he would have that kind of work. One time, while he was in the village of Ganawagas, which is very close to our modern Avon, New York, he ended up having a short-term relationship hooking up with this Seneca woman named Gahononne. So we don't really know when Corn Planter was born. We estimate it was sometime in the 1740s, but we really can't nail down an exact year. Now, even though his father biologically was Dutch, growing up, as far as we can tell, he had basically no relationship with his father or contact so he grew up you know in a lot of ways fatherless but you got to remember we've mentioned it before in Seneca culture even up into the 1700s it was still very common to be raised by your uncle and your mother's family so it's not to say he didn't have a father figure but his just biological father was not really around that being said curious boys do ask who your father is and so when he's older he asks his mother and she told Corn Planter his dad's name and where he lived. And so when Corn Planter was a young man, he decided that he was going to go to Albany and try and track him down. Now, Albany is a pretty long walk from Avon. It's at least 250 miles. 
and he heads all the way there and he ends up finding his dad and it's really cool Caleb they immediately embrace they start crying on one another's shoulders and they go outside and start playing catch with the lacrosse ball together it's really cool did you write that in or did they really play catch with the lacrosse ball well they didn't actually do any of that because his dad Gave him the cold shoulder. Aw. I was literally picturing them throwing the ball together, Andrew, and you got my hopes all up. So you just made that whole thing up. I just made all that up. Actually, he found his dad, and it was pretty abundantly clear that he wanted nothing to do with his savage son. He was embarrassed by him, and he didn't even recognize him as his real son and said, you know, it's best if you just get on home, boy. So that's a bummer. So Cornplanter turned around and walked 250 miles back to Seneca Territory. Then let's fast forward to the 1790s when, as we mentioned in many of our episodes, war is brewing between the colonial Americans and Great Britain. We mentioned in passing in our episodes that Cornplanter becomes a huge leader in the war, but you guys may be surprised to know that he and his uncle Kayasuta really at first advocated for neutrality. Let's not get involved in this mess. But just because you're a a war leader doesn't mean you have the final say. Remember, this is a a representative-style government, and you have to go along with what the majority wants to do. And so that's what they did when all the Seneca Nation gathered at Oswego in July 1777, when Gentleman Johnny Burgoyne came down and promised them the moon if they would just come and sit outside Fort Stanwix and smoke their peace pipes and uh, all that good stuff. Now, Andrew, I'm a little confused because I remember reading in our Red Jacket episode last week that Red Jacket advocated for peace, and I thought Cornplanter, along with Joseph Brandt, called Red Jacket a coward and said, we need to go on the warpath. Yep. So he was obviously playing both sides of the, the aisle at this. I imagine in front of the young people that want to go to war... Uh, you say, yeah, war is great. Meanwhile, behind closed doors, you're talking with councils. Yeah, we should probably do peace. That would be best. I think it's more he had his personal views, but once the whole nation agreed, he went along with it. And then when he's got people down, these young kids complaining, he said, we all agreed this is what we're doing and this is what we're doing. So, yeah, I can see why he would call him a coward. Okay, that makes a little more sense. Now, we've talked about great length what happens with the Burgoyne campaign. So if you want to know more, go back and listen to... We covered three episodes on the Burgoyne campaign. So go back and listen to it. It's really cool. But Cornplanter ends up becoming an appointed war chief, and he remains one throughout the whole Revolutionary War. He goes on frequent raids with Joseph Brandt and other British captains into Pennsylvania and the New York frontier. And on one such raid, they end up capturing this uh, older white guy, and he's walking through the camp looking at the prisoners, and his jaw drops. Can you guess who they captured, Caleb? I don't have it in the notes, so Caleb's really got to guess. They capture a British officer? I said a, a white guy. Oh. Random white guy. Can you at least tell me like uh, what nationality he is? Well, I could, but I'd give it away. All right, you ready? It better not be uh, Lafayette again. It's not, it's not Lafayette, no. Because <laughs> he just keeps popping up, too. Uh, he was Dutch. It was Cornplanter's father? Yes. He's walking through the crowd, and Cornplanter's dad's among some of the POWs. And so Cornplanter tries a second chance at this. Goes up to his dad, says, Hi, man. 
and trying to see if, you know, maybe there's some kind of relationship that they could rekindle here. And uh, then his dad breaks down crying and they decide to really go out and play lacrosse. You better not be tugging at my heartstrings again, Andrew. You better not be lying. I'm, I'm sorry. His dad, even though he's tied up, still says, you're not my kid. I want nothing to do with you. And Corn Planter says, you know what? He unties him, lets him go, and says, all right, be on your way. I've spared your life. Just know that it's because of me that you're alive, and I never want to see you again. And they never did. So, dang. I think you got father issues. But then the war ends. Great Britain gets together with the United States and France and Paris, and they work out a deal, and we know that the British make absolutely no accommodations for the Native Americans. And when Corn Planter finds out about this, he is really upset. He considers it a total betrayal that the King of England and their British allies have totally left them to the mercy of the Americans. And they're really worried that the Americans will continue a war because the Iroquois have made no peace so far. They're really worried that there could be another Sullivan expedition and they could lose not only their land, but they could lose all their lives. So Corn Planter instantly becomes a huge diplomat advocating for peace with the Americans because he views it as his only hope for survival. In 1784, he's part of the Treaty of Fort Stanwix, and a lot of his people really give him a lot of flack about this because he does sign off on a lot of things, but he tells the people that this is really what we need right now. But pioneers are continuing to push into the new frontier a lot of the soldiers that came along on the Sullivan expedition see these beautiful, pristine lands of the Genesee country. They noticed how well the orchards grew. It's, it's kind of rare that you can find a climate where you can grow vineyards, orchards, and farm crops like corn, beans, and squash, and also livestock. Uh, livestock. And the Finger Lakes region of western New York can grow all of these things. It doesn't matter where you drive, you'll find a huge thousand-acre vineyard that produces award-winning wines and literally the best sweet corn. I mean, they didn't really have sweet corn back then, but it's a really big staple right now in western New York. And as for apples and other fruit, New York, other than uh, Washington State, is the second largest grower of apples in the country. So this area really is pristine, and the soldiers knew it. And now you have people coming and squatting and not holding to the agreements that they made with the initial Americans. Sure, because after the war, so many of the Seneca and Cayuga had moved further west and they hadn't fully moved back. So a lot of this land was just kind of open for the taking for whatever squatter wanted to move in and start his own orchard. Corn planters all involved in diplomacy in the 1780s and 1790s. He's going out into the Ohio country at Fort Harmar, trying to smooth over relations with the Western Confederacy. In 1790 and 91, Pennsylvania praises him for everything that he's done to try and quell the hostilities between the Ohio Indians. During one of these visits, Corn Planter visits Philadelphia, and he's still trying to raise awareness to the people because remember, Pennsylvania's got a huge Quaker population, so there's a lot of people really following the Iroquois issue. And so he starts asking these rhetorical questions to try and advocate for his people. And here's one such quote. Quote, 
Where is the land which our children and their children after them are to lie down upon? The Supreme Court Executive Council of Pennsylvania, they listened to Cornplanter's Prix and assured him that the Indians and their lands would be protected. We'll see how that works out. The following year, President Washington sent Cornplanter to cultivate peace and friendship with the Indians of the Ohio. Like Andrew and I talked about in past episodes, there's uh, all this unrest in the Western Indian War uh, Confederacy that's going on. And Cornplanter and Red Jacket are working as intermediaries between the U.S. government and these other nations. But even after Red Jacket and Cornplanter go to meet with these Ohio Indians, they come back and they view their trip as a failure because the Ohio nations did not agree to peace. But Washington still appreciated the efforts because even though they weren't able to broker a deal of peace with the Ohio Indians, Washington just looked at this as a success that the Iroquois were not getting involved in it. And if you remember from our Red Jacket episode, George Washington presented Red Jacket with a special heirloom silver medal. But for Corn Planter, he gave him a peace pipe. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on. During his other visits down to Pennsylvania, he started meeting with different Quakers, and they asked him if it would be okay if some of their teachers moved up to open schools to educate their children. He was really open to this. He said, we wish them to be taught to read and write and other such things that you teach your children, but especially the love of peace. I like how he kind of squeezed that in there. Yeah, you can come and teach them, but we'd really like it if you talked about, you know, how we're not going to kill each other anymore. So in 1798, the Quakers came up and started living in Corn Planter's neighborhood. Another thing that Corn Planter really pushed among his people was he wanted it to be a dry society. Not that there would be no fun and no humor. He was just really opposed to any form of liquor. And we're going to see that his half-brother, Handsome Lake, is going to get really involved in that, too. And unlike Red Jacket, who was also opposed to liquor, Red Jacket fell into his own addictions. Corn Planter, he actually managed to go his lifetime without ever facing the addictions. By around 1810, however, Corn Planter's becoming really disillusioned with the Americans. He sees that... They're getting kind of treated shabby. The Treaty of Canada was about 16 years in the past now. They're kind of down to smaller reservations. And his brother, Handsome Lake, gets caught up in kind of this religious revival. And Corn Planter really goes along with what his brother is teaching. So around this time, Corn Planter burns his American-issued military uniform. He breaks his sword. He destroys the medals he's been given. And he closes the schools and tells the missionaries that they need to leave. The other thing that he gives away was the prized dual tomahawk peace pipe that George Washington had given him. As a crazy coincidence, Caleb, this thing was literally in the news last week. Yeah, Andrew had sent me the outline for this episode that he wanted to do. And within three days of that happening, front page national news, this tomahawk peace pipe that had been stolen a long time ago was just returned to uh what was it the albany museum yeah the new york state museum in albany so one of corn planters relatives later on a guy named ely parker remember that name gonna be really important we're gonna ask you about that when he comes back up but ely parker inherited the item in around 1850 and he gave it to the new york state museum but about 70 years ago 
it was stolen by some unscrupulous employee who apparently stole a bunch of other stuff from the museum too. And it was sold and resold and resold again seven different times to different people over the last seven decades. And just this past week, the current owner contacted the museum and said, hey, I'd like to give this back, which sounds really noble, Caleb, but I did some digging because I wanted to read about this tomahawk and I just Googled it. And the previous news article was about how the guy tried to sell it for $25,000 on some auction house, but it didn't meet the reserve price. So I'm like, hmm, so you couldn't sell it, so you decided to give it to the museum to get the tax write-off. Anyway, thank you, anonymous person, for donating this priceless artifact back to the people. I thought you were going to say you tried to sell it, and then he got all this hate mail and hate speech for selling. Uh... Well, I, I'm sure he got some of that, too. <laughs> he or she. I guess it could be a woman as well. Now there's a lot of contention saying, well, who does the pipe belong to? Does it belong to New York State, or does it belong to the Seneca people? And some people argue, well, Ely Parker gave it to New York, but he didn't really, he shouldn't have really done that. But we're not going to get into that. Anyway, at least people will be able to view it now. The pipe, as it is in the museum collection now, it just has a, a plain wooden handle with some engravings, but it was actually a pure silver handle originally. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if you noticed, but I was kind of annoyed with the article because it didn't even show a picture of the stinking tomahawk. I, I found a picture of it, and I'll show you. It's really nice. It looks like a tomahawk, but then on the back end where the, the smaller axe head should be, you can see the, the pipe sticking out. Okay, here's one question for you, Andrew. You're aware of the famous portrait of Corn Planter. Yes. In that portrait, he is holding a tomahawk. Is yes. this the one that he was taken, the, the portrait was painted of him holding? I would, I would think so. Uh, they look similar. I just don't know. I'm sure there's a, some historian that could tell us. I would guess most likely. Look at that picture. Whenever you, if you Google Iroquois in Google, the picture of Corn Planter with his headdress on holding that tomahawk peace pipe is definitely one of the first images that pops up. So Corn Planter, he's becoming really disaffected, but he's still a good guy at heart. One time he was traveling to a different Seneca reservation, and oftentimes they traveled by canoes down the Allegheny River, and he was on his way to Pittsburgh. So Corn Planter's coming down the river. He sees this group of guys, and they've got a prisoner tied up over on the side of a cliff. And they call Corn Planter over, and they say, Hey, look what we got for you. Do with him however you please. Now, you might think that Corn Planter and some of the other Indians would want to get some revenge for all the injustice that has been done upon them. And they tell Corn Planter, Hey, we can basically kill this guy and nobody will ever know about it. So, you know, here, why don't you just do with him what you want? And Corn Planter slowly pulls out his dagger. Meanwhile, the guy's on the ground looking up, ugh, terrified, shaking, hogtied on the ground. And Corn Planter is walking closer and closer. And I just picture lightning striking as he's lifting his knife up. And he brings it down with a perfect slice and cuts his bonds free. Now this is really cool because uh, I wonder if this is the first time this has ever happened in the story, but I can think of like a hundred different times in Westerns and things like that where the scary guy comes up like he's gonna kill you and then he cuts your bonds. That's exactly what Corn Planter does. And he tells the guy, hey, I saved your life. Just think of that, you know, whenever, uh, if you ever have a chance to do something nice for somebody or if, if you ever had the disposition that Indians were all savages and were trying to kill you, just remember they were going to kill you and I saved your life and you're free to go. 
But the man had no idea how to get back. You know, he's, he was traveling up. His canoe's probably long gone. He's just up there by the lakes and rivers. So Corn Planter ends up commissioning another Seneca to guide him all the way back home and make sure he gets back safe so he doesn't get recaptured. Because it's kind of, it's not much of a favor if you let somebody go and then he gets killed by another warrior a mile down the road. So he made sure he could get all the way back home to his family safely. Now, Corn Planter was a really popular guy among the people of Pennsylvania. So popular, in fact, and so favored for the fact that he was really trying to make an honest peace that the legislature of Pennsylvania in 1791 bequeathed to him a tract of land. This was not a reservation. It was an actual piece of property. And they said that it could be for corn planter, for him and his descendants forever. Uh, Again, remember that forever, because that's going to come into play in about 150 years. But this corn planter tract was just a small little piece on the Allegheny River that was a small token of how the people of Pennsylvania wanted to show their gratitude to him. But now we've got to say goodbye. Corn Planter was aging well into his 90s. He really took a lot of flack from all different sides. A lot of people view him as a sellout. Other people view him as just trying to do the best job he can for his people during this incredibly turbulent generation. Think about it. He's born and raised as a child and a teenager during the French and Indian War. And then in his manhood, he's growing up in the American Revolution. And now, on February 18th, 1836, he breathes his last, living his whole life to the best of his ability to try and live for his people. Now, Andrew, as far as influence amongst his people, Corn Planter was just as big, if not bigger, than Chief Red Jacket. Sadly, though, we don't have as much documentation on Corn Planter because there wasn't early biographies written about him in the early 1800s like we have on Red Jacket. So we can tell he was a really important guy, but sadly we don't have a ton of stuff about his, you know... I feel like we really kind of learned how Red Jacket thought and what his personality was by the end of our last two episodes. It's kind of interesting that people really go after the antagonists. Red Jacket was the guy that was really outspoken and confronted people, and Corn Planter was the kind of guy that really wanted to just get along with everybody. So we could have just skipped Corn Planter altogether, but we thought we'd throw out this small, we'll call it a mini-episode, where we could just do a quick bio on him, and we actually have one more that we're going to do on the third of the trio of the Seneca leadership, Handsome Lake. Be sure to like us on Facebook, everybody, if you haven't already. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at Iroquois History. We post stuff multiple times a week, interesting stuff. Not only ancient history, but if there's Haudenosaunee Six Nations news that's current, we post that too. Right now, the Iroquois Nationals are playing in the World Lacrosse Championship, which is really exciting. And most importantly, before we go, Wild Sweet Potato Clan. For those of you that have been listening to us for the past two years, you'll know that we have our own special uh, fan club of the show. We call it the Wild Sweet Potato Clan. And if you would like to join, all you have to do is go on iTunes and leave us a positive review. And on top of getting to join the clan, we will also send you your very own Iroquois History and Legends coffee mug. 
Uh, we'll pay for the shipping and everything. Send it right to you. You cannot beat that deal. All you have to do is shoot us an email at longhousepodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to leave your name and address and also your username for the review that you left so we can you know, actually keep track on where we're sending these things. If you just send us an email, hey, I left a review, can you send me a mug, and that's it, all of a sudden I'm going to look at my mail and be like, I don't know who this is. Also being said, there's about 10 of you out there right now that I'm getting ready to send out. We've been sending these out in a batch about once every month. So we've got another batch getting ready to go out. So if you've been waiting and be like, hey, I messaged them three weeks ago and I still haven't got it, don't worry. We're getting ready to send them out soon. If you guys could do something else for us too, post the mugs on social media, how you're using them, how much you enjoy them. Tell all your friends. Post on Twitter and Facebook and anything else that you use saying how much you enjoy this podcast and why they should listen too. And if you're with them, take out their phone and subscribe for them while they're sitting there with you. That also lets us know that you get them and I'm not just mailing all, (laughs) spending all the money mailing these and they're just going into a landfill somewhere. That'd be really depressing. I've only seen about three people actually post on social media that they got them. So I think we sent out about a hundred already. So I hope that th- I hope that uh, you guys are getting these. I really have no way of knowing. So please tune in next time as we discuss the life of Handsome Lake. Bye, everybody. Bye.